Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Uni Alchemy podcast. I know I said that I wasn't going to release an episode until season three, but I missed you guys and I really, really wanted to talk about the Barbie movie and I really wanted to talk about uh, a number of things in pop culture that have happened recently. I feel like it was kind of a joke, like all these things happened um, in the news and just in like pop culture after season two finished. And I was like, ah, oh, I, I can't wait till season three. And then I had this epiphany where I was like, there's no reason why I need to wait till season three. I make the show. I am in charge of the podcast. If I want to release an episode, I can release an episode. <laughs> um, so I'm laughing at myself for having that realization, but in reality, um, this is a bonus episode and I wanted to talk to the guest, the guest of honor, Lizzie Wing, who I've talked to before. You may not, or may remember her. We talked all about relationships. She is I can't remember what episode number it is. It's called Everything Your Therapist Wants You to Know About Relationships. That's what the episode's called. And it's one of the most listened to episodes on the podcast. So I was like, naturally, I need to get her back on the show. I need to talk to her. We need to have a conversation. Um because I know that she's going to be on the same page as me. I could just, I could just sense. Um, <laughs> but it's true. Like, you'll see this episode once we get into it. Um, we talk all about feminism. We talk all about um, the the new wave of feminism that has come out of the Barbie movie. And you know, what it actually looks like in today's culture, in today's society, the roles that women play, the the nuances of what that might look like and how that, like, shows up in society and, and how that shows up in relationships and gender roles and all that sort of thing. Um, we talk about, now this might be a little bit of older news, but I still wanted to talk about it. We talked about the Jonah Hill uh, relationship scandal that um, came out of his ex-girlfriend speaking out about their relationship publicly and sharing some pretty private texts on her Instagram. We talk about the nuance of like what makes a relationship abusive versus controlling versus maybe just dysfunctional and not meant to be. I want to let you guys in on a little secret. I've been including medicinal mushrooms and adaptogens into my morning breakfast. Lion's mane to support focus, cordyceps to support my physical performance throughout the day and give me some energy, chaga and reishi to support my immune system, and then cinnamon cacao and chai for taste and also antioxidants mood and then that little hint of caffeine 
Now that sounds like a lot of ingredients to include into your breakfast, but I've just been using one scoop of mud water in hot water every single morning. And that with a little bit of honey and milk is just chef's kiss. And I'm telling you guys, I've been doing this since 2019, way before the podcast has even started. And I'm lucky enough to be able to partner with them. So now I can share some amazing discounts with you guys so that you can also improve your morning routine as well. So if you're looking for a coffee alternative that does not give you any kind of anxiety or jitters or even a crash later on in the day, I highly recommend trying some mud water. I have a little discount code for you guys. It's 15% off with the code ALCHEMY and you can use that code site-wide. I also have a link in my show notes and in my bio for you to click on and enjoy mud water. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this bonus episode and if you do, make sure that you have subscribed and left a rating on the podcast. Please, if you if you have it in your heart, write a review on the podcast. It really does make a difference. Um, and season three will be coming, I promise, soon. I don't have a specific date yet, so if you aren't following me on Instagram, please follow me. It's the only alchemy podcast. Um, I'll keep you guys updated there. And I know I've been a little bit MIA on socials recently. Again, um, as, as we've talked about already, I have a new job that's definitely, um, taking up more of my time, which is amazing because I'm really enjoying it and I really love it, but it just means that I'm going at a slower pace than usual um, for the podcast, but that's okay. It's going to come out and I haven't forgotten about you guys. I miss you a lot and uh, yeah. Okay, back by popular demand. I have my first guest that's ever come back twice. Yeah. I have Elizabeth Wing with me again. Um, you, I have to tell you this, you are the most popular episode I've ever done on my podcast. Wow. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I obviously really loved the episode um, that we did and if anyone hasn't listened to it yet, please go and listen to it. It's all about relationships. Um, I think it titled it like everything your therapist wants you to know about relationships or something like that. We covered a lot um, of topics, so I guess we did. We're interested in it. Yeah. <laughs> we did. It was, and it flew by, of course. Mm -hmm. um, for people who aren't familiar with you or don't know you, can you tell us or tell them a little bit about? you and your background? Yeah. So I'm a marriage and family therapy associate. I have my master's in marriage and family therapy. Um, I like to focus on couples, relationships, interrelational health. I like to focus on, on relationships mostly. So parent relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, family, that's what I love to focus on, but also mental health in general. And I like to have a very holistic approach. So mind, body, soul, you know, nutrition, exercise, as well as the 
tools for mental health, coping skills, you know, anxiety and depression, prevention and treatment, all of that together. So I, I like to cover all of it, but um, I think every part of your health contributes to every other part of your health. So it's important to really pay attention to all of it. And that's kind of my platform, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I absolutely love that you do that because I've talked about this before on TikTok. I don't know if I've talked about it on here where I'm like, it's wild to me that they don't do, or some people don't not like, I guess more the traditional psychiatrists or psychologists don't do like a full body assessment of like, where's your health at? Yes. Um, yes. And like, are your vitamin levels, like, do you have really low vitamin D, for example, that's a really, really good one. Maybe that's contributing to your depression or for something that I always talk about, which is PCOS. I'm like, I have PCOS. I know that contributes, but like, yeah. it took me years to get diagnosed with that. So yeah, it's wild that that's not more common. So many factors that could be playing into mental health um, and physical health. You could have stuff going on with your thyroid. You could have hormone imbalances, you could have vitamin deficiencies, you could have some very specific disorder that is undiagnosed. There's there's a lot that could be going on in your body that could be presenting through depression or heightened anxiety or sleep issues. And humans are difficult to treat because of that. There's so many factors that yeah. could be at play. You guys, when I think about the fact that I used to get in my car um, and drive to therapy as a depressed and anxious girl, I honestly cannot believe it. Like the irony that people who suffer from depression have to will themselves to get out of bed and then battle with parking and traffic and waiting rooms only to talk to their therapist for an hour not to mention the emotional roller coaster of health insurance. Um, I'm over it. Why don't we make mental health easier and more accessible? Well, there is someone who does that, and that's BetterHelp. Thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. So to get started, just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. Um, and you can always switch therapists. If you don't feel like your therapist is a match, that's okay. You can also message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. I can't tell you how easy this is. To get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com forward slash only alchemy. That's better com slash only alchemy. Yeah. So actually I have a question. When you have a client that says something like they just have like no motivation, they have a lot of fatigue, they've got like, I guess, low energy in general. Mm -hmm. Before like, I don't know, diagnosing them with depression or something like that. Do you, what, what would your suggestions be prior to that for them? Yeah. I want to ask a lot of questions. So when it started, how long it's been going on, how bad is it? Check for suicidality as well. And then, yeah, you know, triage that first, if they're feeling suicidal, if they're not feeling suicidal and depending on how long it's gone on, what was going on in their life when it started 
Is there an environmental factor? Did they have a recent life change happen, recent added stressors that could be contributing to it? If if all of those are cleared and it really does seem like biologically this just happened, or maybe it was situational, but it's gone on way past what we would call an adjustment disorder, then yeah. I would want them to to go to their physician and, and have some blood work done and have things checked too to make just make sure we just want to make sure we're treating the right thing and if they don't need to be on antidepressants and we can treat it by um coping skills and and getting their vitamins checked hormones whatever then that would be great but if they're too low if they're feeling suicidal or they're feeling like they don't even have the motivation to go on a walk or you know themselves then antidepressants might be the answer and we can do that first and then do the other thing so it's really case by case it depends on each person um, the reason why it's good to try to find lifestyle changes or vitamin, you know, nutritional changes first is because there are no side effects to that. There's no side effects to exercise and sleeping well and sunshine and nutrition, but there can be side effects to depression that can cause other things. And I've known people who've gone on antidepressants, but then now they have to go on a sleep aid because the anti-anxiety medication gave them insomnia. And now their libido is so low, they're needing to find other ways to mitigate that. And now they also develop this other side effect. And it's it can just make things complicated. So I'm definitely pro-medication when it's needed, but it's just good to take a really thorough inventory first and see where the depression or anxiety might be coming from. Can we address that root cause? And if it is a natural chemical imbalance, then antidepressants might be the perfect answer for that person. Yeah. Do you, are there any like things that people could do such as like multivitamins or simple, I guess, I know you do a lot of like recipes and things like that Mm -hmm. on your Instagram already. Yeah. I love your stories. They're always like, this is my new smoothie or whatever it is. (laughs) I love my smoothies. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm curious more so over the counter, easy, no, like you said, no real side effects, those types of things that aren't high risk. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be careful. I'm not giving medical advice. So definitely check your physician. I'm not giving medical advice, but yeah, um, it's, it varies person by person. And that's why I think it is a good idea. And I did this actually this year, I went to my doctor and I just had this whole list that I got from a book. I will have to find what the book was, but you can just ask for a very thorough blood work and say, you want to get all your vitamin levels checked, your hormone levels checked. Cause I just wanted to know what was going on. I was dealing with some severe fatigue that didn't seem to have an explanation and it had been going on for several months. So that's why I went and got it checked. And I just wanted to see where my levels were, but you can deal with that right then if you get your blood levels back and they say oh your vitamin c is super low your vitamin d is super low whatever it is then you can take supplements or um, get out in the sun more whatever vitamin is low that can be handled naturally you can definitely do that Um, for certain things so for example like my testosterone was really low so that's something that you can look into natural ways to raise it and i have back to see if what i've changed has worked and i should do that and i will but if it hasn't worked then i might need to take a more Western medicine approach to raising those levels. But there's always natural things that can increase your levels. It's just, will they, will they work 
or not? Are you willing to do it or not? And I think it's always worth the effort. And a lot of people have found great success in just changing around their diet, changing around their lifestyle, and they can increase those vitamin levels naturally by making those yeah. changes. But you need to be aware did you go of to a low on. Hmm. Did you go to a functional medicine doctor or did you just go to your regular kind of like primary care? I went to a regular primary care because I felt a bit overwhelmed by it all. I didn't know yeah. where best to go. I'm not an expert on that at all, but I think... I would probably go to a functional one because the primary care doctor I went to, he did all the tests, but he was kind of like, why do you want to do this? Why do you, why do you care? Yes. Isn't that like, wild that that's yeah. the response so many times where yeah. they're like, yeah, I mean, you can test if you want or like, yeah. but I also like to remind people that like the, the ranges are super different for like functional medicine, the ranges for what they consider to be normal, I'm air quoting versus yeah. like low, high or whatever is very, very different okay. to like your primary care doctor. That's good. To and know. oftentimes, from what I remember, oftentimes the primary care doctors ranges, when they say something's like normal, it's more like substitute the word normal for like very common. Yeah. Like just because mm -hmm. it's normal doesn't mean it's like healthy, good, yeah. you know, just like how yeah. much of America is not healthy. Like that range is more like, this is very common for the average person. It's like, yeah. but are they healthy? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I, I would like to explore more of those kind of naturopath or functional medicine, whatever alternative yeah. because it did it was frustrating to me that he was like why do you want to do this and it's like because I've been tired for nine months and I think there yeah. is probably wrong <laughs> like I'm sleeping do you out. feel better now I do feel better now I think mine might have been a more stress because I I felt it kind of come on towards the end of grad school and then for several months after grad oh, school yeah. I had moved I had had like change of job. There were a lot of changes happening and it was a high, high stress time for me. And I think I was also burnt out from grad school because I was working and doing the internship during it. So I think mine was a lot of uh, life factors and it kind of went away once yeah. all of that settled. Yeah. Burnout is so, so real. Mm -hmm. um, it really does catch up on you. I think people... I don't know. I think people don't contribute that. Like, it's good that obviously this is your profession to like link those things together. <laughs> but I'm saying like, I feel like the number of times that I've said to my friends, I'm like, I think you need to just like take a break or like, yeah. I think you just need to like catch up with yourself or, you know, just take a moment. And even for myself, like, I think it was earlier this year. Um, a lot of a lot of crazy stress had happened over the past couple of years and i just had a moment where all of it kind of the dust settled and i was like whoa mm -hmm. you don't realize until after it all happens yeah. like how intense that is on your body yes 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 it can really catch you off guard and it can be hard to know what to do because sometimes we tell ourselves things that aren't necessarily true. We tell ourselves that there's nothing we can do about it. We have to do everything we're doing or whatever. We put ourselves in these boxes that yeah. aren't, 
aren't always true. Sometimes they are true based on our values. So like for me, I could have taken a semester off and taken longer to graduate. I could have um, stopped doing my internship sooner, but then I would have gotten less hours. Yeah. So I was aware of all these trade-offs and I just decided to push through and say, it, look, it's this much time until I graduate. I'm just going to push through and accept that I will probably continue to get burnt out. And yeah, being in a marriage and family therapy program was was interesting because my classmates and I would often have conversations about how we could feel ourselves getting burnt out because we were learning how to think in this specific way to be tuned into our emotional state and our physical state. And we're talking about yeah. burnout in our classes and we're like, this is so funny because we are getting burnt out and we can feel it happening as we're learning about how bad that is and what to do to stop it. And it, it's tough. Yeah, certain certain life situations will just put you there. But whatever you can do to make it as short-lived as possible and then reevaluate your life, reprioritize so that it doesn't happen all the time or it doesn't happen again is yeah what you should do. Yeah, because we're like we're a design for like short spouts of stress, but like yeah. not long, long term yes. continuous amounts of stress. Yes. Um what did they say if you could if you could like foresee or you could already feel yourself getting burnt out? What was the main factors in reducing that? Yeah, so they in our classes, we'd talk a lot about self-care and coping skills and and making sure that we were coping in healthy ways. You know, some people are going to turn to alcohol or drugs or escapism to an extreme level yeah. to cope. And we talked more about making sure you're exercising, sleeping enough, eating well, taking breaks, at, like take a day where you don't do any homework for one day a week and try to navigate your schedule so you can give yourself a day where you can turn off or whatever. Um, everyone came up with different strategies to give themselves brain breaks, give themselves body breaks. For me, it did get to a point where I'd well, I'd passed my hours, what I needed to graduate from my internship. And I talked to my supervisor and said, I think I need to stop now. And we were still a couple months away from graduation, but I, I'd met my requirements. So um, I yeah. did stop the internship a couple months before I graduated, and that was super helpful because that took away two and a half hours of driving every day to get to that. And I was only going, I think, two or three days a week, so it wasn't every single day. But the days I wasn't going there, I was driving an hour and a half to school and back. So think things like that, just recognizing where can I pull back and where, how can I build in ways to recharge and get myself to the finish line. And if you don't have a finish line, that's where you need to make some hard choices of what is going to, what do I need to take off my plate? What can I take off my plate? And if people tell themselves they can't take anything off, that's not true. Everything in your life is a choice. Taking care of your kids is a choice. Having a job is a choice. And those are good values to have. I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of your kids or have a job, but acknowledging that you're choosing to spend your time wherever you're spending it and recognizing there are always things that you can move off or find a way to build in support. If you need to find ways to build in better childcare or build in a night a week that you have off so you can go do something with your friends or just have a night by yourself. Like there's always yeah. something you can do to help yourself get out of those perpetual burnout cycles. 
driving itself, like just you saying driving two hours, I'm like, I'd be exhausted just after driving two hours. Yeah, they, they've done studies <laughs> on people with long commutes. And, and if you have a long commute for, for several years, their people's baseline stress levels go up. Their cortisol levels are higher. It literally... I can imagine. Their, it impacts yeah. their happiness levels. It impacts their stress levels. It's not good to have a super long commute long term. Um, yeah. I'm, and I'm sure that there are ways to mitigate that if you can find a way to make it enjoyable and relaxing. And I know people do podcasts and call their friends and family. That's what I did. I tried to use it as a time where I could do audiobooks, yeah. podcasts, call my family. But yeah, the traffic itself is stressful and that can that can have a negative effect. Yeah, definitely. I I always will put a podcast on mm -hmm. like no matter what. I like even for like a 10 minute drive, yeah. I, I prefer it to music for some reason. Yeah. Only in the past few years have I done that. But driving, I don't know if it's the same in Texas or maybe it's the same. I'm not sure. But driving in LA is stressful because I feel like there is so many terrible drivers. Mm -hmm. And that's so funny. You're like, because I feel like the Texas drivers are worse than the LA drivers. I, really? Yeah, I felt like the LA drivers, oh, them no. fast, but everyone's minding their own business, you know. And in Texas, there are a lot of people who will get on the interstate and go 30 miles an hour, and they just it's like they don't know what they're doing and it's very it's very stressful they go slowly they go or... slowly and they'll just stop out of nowhere and there's a lot of, of panicked driving is how i would describe it i feel like la drivers are confident and that makes it less scary but texas drivers oh, no. seem scared yeah <laughs> i don't i think it's maybe just because i'm australian like <laughs> I always would try and explain this to my husband and he never understood what I was talking about until I finally was with him in Australia and I was driving and I was like, do you see how much more relaxed this is? <laughs> like everyone's just nice to each other. There's no one stressed. Mm -hmm. Like you just get like, I, it's totally different. And he was like, yeah. I finally see why driving in LA like stresses you out. And I'm like, huh? yeah, because everyone's an idiot. <laughs> that is hilarious. That would be interesting to see if the like cortisol increase varies by region or by country or state or not. It it has to, yeah. it has to, like, there's no way it doesn't because I'm like a living example of the, <laughs> of that. Yeah. And I don't know. We have very, very, very strict uh, driving like rules and laws mm -hmm. in Australia. So like, you don't really have a choice but to like drive according to the law. Yeah. And so everyone can just be. Every you just trust other drivers more. Okay. I don't trust any drivers in LA. Like, I don't trust yeah. that you're not gonna just all of a sudden take a left turn into my lane and and take cut me off you know like yeah. i'm almost like anticipating you to do that yeah i feel you that's how i feel about the texas drivers too so maybe maybe it's america <laughs> <laughs> well i will say i when i had to get my license in california mm -hmm. i was so nervous for my driving test because i was expecting it to be like the driving test in australia oh and Everyone around me was like, I don't know why you're so stressed out. And I was like, what if I fail? <laughs> and they were like, you're going to be fine. And I did the test and I was like, this is so like, 
anticlimactic. I was, she was like, okay, like you're done. Here's your, and I was like, that's it. I was like, you didn't even see me parallel park. That was so easy. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. So it's harder to get your license in Australia. They have, they have stricter standards for so, driving. So much, so much stricter. Mm. I don't know how much we want to get into this, but like, <laughs> it's, it's a whole process. I failed the first driving test I ever did. Okay. Um, I mean, I was like, younger obviously i was like a teenager at the time but it was for like something really 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 small and minute um and then we have different levels like you can't just get your full license straight away there's like mm. we call it doesn't make sense unless i explain it but you get like a learner's permit and then you get like these two things we call p plates okay which is like literally the letter p on like a plate that you have to stick on your car. Okay. One's a red P and one's a green P. So you do your red P for one year and then you do your green P for two years. Okay. And there's limitations to like what you can do. So you can only drive so fast. You can only have so many passengers. Like there's all of these rules involved until you finally graduate to like a full license. Yeah. So there's a whole process that goes on for multiple years prior to even getting a full license. Right. Okay. So it's more thorough. And we have the learner's yeah. permit, but not none of the in-between steps. It's just yeah. learner's permit and then driver's license. And I think each state varies on like how young you can be when you get your learner's permit. And yeah. It's probably, it's, I mean, looking back, I think it's probably a bit much, but <laughs> that's the process. Okay. Um, Anyway, enough about Australian driving. Let's get into the one topic that I wanted to talk about from the beginning, which was the Jonah Hill debacle that happened. We're a little bit late to the game. I know it was a couple weeks ago, but you had done a post on it, and I really wanted to get your feedback because I thought you had a very grounded and like realistic opinion on the whole thing. Thank you. So yeah. that situation was, I see obviously both sides and no one was perfect. Yeah. No one handled themselves perfectly. However, what I noticed in a lot of the posts that uh, I think her name is Sarah was posting was a lot of therapy speak and Jonah was sort of using it back at her in the text messages. So there was a lot yeah. of therapy speak and sort of labeling of each other, and especially Sarah labeling him a, I think, misogynistic narcissist was what she was labeling him. And it just opened up a conversation about therapy speak and the weaponizing of it. So we've yeah. had this wonderful education become very mainstream on psychology and on therapy, on mental health, emotional health, relational health, which is great. And a part of that that is awesome is people have learned more about terms that relate to that field. So people know more about psychology, they know more about mental health, and they know more about abuse, and they know more about personality disorders and psychological disorders, mental health disorders. But the downside of that is a lot of times people will diagnose others who are not diagnosed with that disease or disorder. And yeah. they'll use diagnoses as weapons against other people in kind of this authoritative way to label someone else 
and shame them with a diagnosis that that person may or may not have. And that's where it yeah. becomes a problem. And we saw this also with gaslighting that you and I talked about last time, that gaslighting was just slammed on everything as, yeah, anytime someone disagrees with you, it's gaslighting. And that's not what that is, yeah. right? Now we're seeing that with other things like narcissistic abuser, misogynistic narcissist, this person has borderline personality disorder, she's bipolar, like all these labels are being thrown around that are legitimate diagnoses. And often the stereotype of those is not actually accurate. And it's being used to label what is maybe bad behavior, but not diagnosable disordered behavior per se. So we're seeing a lot of that. And what I noticed from those texts between Sarah and Jonah was it sounds like, and I don't know them, I don't know what the full story was, none of us will know the full context who were not there, but it seemed like they had poor boundaries with each other after the breakup. There was maybe some breadcrumbing going on, they never stopped talking to each other, they were still very intimate with their communication, so then when he started dating someone else, she was very hurt by that. But leading someone on, breadcrumbing, that's not abuse. That's not psychological abuse. It's not kind, and it's not thoughtful it's kind of selfish but it's not abusive yeah. and so what this kind of goes back to that gaslighting thing now when people get upset at someone they'll often slap these labels that are mental health diagnoses when actually it may just be bad behavior but it does not qualify as a diagnosable disorder or abuse. yeah yeah sorry if you can hear that my name is dog fine. <laughs> um he agrees with what you're saying. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I was curious your thoughts on, like, when is it appropriate to go public with such private exchanges like that? Like, yeah, that was the part where I was like, cancel culture is so aggressively prevalent. Yeah. These days where this is like, the stakes are so high that you can really ruin someone's entire career and i'm not taking sides by any means or like yeah. condoning anyone's behavior for this yeah but i really am like when is it appropriate to share private texts or emails publicly yeah that's a great question i would say when it is a legitimate abuse case and someone is like a harvey weinstein harvey weinstein situation yeah. perfect time to post publicly texts or whatever. Yeah. If there's an actual predator on the loose that is not being brought to justice, then that could be a time to go public with something. The problem is if someone hurt you, meaning they broke up with you or they didn't treat you well in a relationship in that they didn't keep good boundaries with you and let you know that they were starting to date other people after you broke up, and you, in hindsight, didn't like the boundaries that that person was setting or the expectations he was having or she was having on you, that's not abusive. That's not something you need to put on blast for everyone to see. So I, I was asking myself the same question. I wonder why she felt the need to go public with all of those texts. And I listened to, she had a couple of voice notes where she explained why she was doing it. And she said she was doing it for the benefit of his new girlfriend who just had their baby and that she wanted to do it to so that she could make an informed decision about being with him. 
And then I was like, well, then you just send it to her, right? You don't. That's what I was just about to say. I'm like, can't you just send it to her straight directly? So that's not why it's done. I think a lot of times people will post those things publicly because they want vengeance against the person. And if they label them as an abuser or they, they selectively post certain things, then they can get vengeance and it, that will feel good. And they'll get a lot of validation. How, how could you have dealt with this? I can't believe this was happening. And they'll get a lot of people pumping them up and giving them that, you know, that high that you get from getting the likes and the comments and the messages and support. And maybe in some cases it's legitimate. And as I said, like with the Harvey Weinstein, some women or people might not know where to go when they've been a victim of true abuse. And so they're going to post it because that's the only outlet that they can think of to have a voice and that's legitimate and should be respected. But sometimes it's used for less honorable purposes. And I think that there are certain situations where it's, it's like, I know I can have this power over this person and make their life really hard and they hurt me and I want them to hurt back. And I don't know if that's the full case. There may have been true abuse happening there and it wasn't documented, but I saw no abuse in the text messages that were posted. Yeah. I I remember when I was reading the post, I first of all was like, I I don't know how it ended up going like viral, but like I remember sitting there reading them and I was like, am I missing something? Like I really kept being like, I have to Google the context. Like I kept thinking to myself, am I totally oblivious or am I actually just being like, what's what's like so bad like i i'm i'm waiting for the shooter drop i'm waiting for maybe i was like maybe i missed a bunch of stories before some of these or yeah. after some of these or i was kind of waiting because i was like okay that's like it's not ideal but i'm like that that's not that bad like yeah what i you saw know? was some immaturity the fact that the, all of these conversations were had over text is i think the biggest problem <laughs> i was thinking the same thing i was yeah. like why are you guys even having texts over this? Yeah, none of that should have been a text conversation. And a good rule of thumb is any conversation, if you're like, should we text about it or talk about it in person? Always talk about it in person because so much gets lost yeah. over text. It's really hard to have a productive argument over text message. I would say it's almost impossible to have a productive successful argument where people feel resolved yeah. and validated and the problem gets addressed that that's not the venue for that texting is for logistics it is for like sweet little flirty things it is not for serious conversations about the state of your relationship and the expectations and boundaries you want to put in place that's not that's not where you should have those conversations so that i think was the greatest sin in all of those texts was the fact that they were texts <laughs> that's so true yeah and i think too like you can get the tone of voice really really confused yeah. over text like when there's been t there's been so many times when like my husband sent me something or i've sent something to him and then we've like misinterpreted it or he's been like are you joking or is this <laughs> are you being serious like yeah because sometimes i am and vice versa or i mean i'm not saying our relationship is perfect by any means but i just i'm like I can't imagine having such an intense conversation over text, even just the pure energy it goes into writing everything down when it would take two seconds to just say it. Yeah. Like you would get to a point where you're like, can I just call you? Yes. 
Yes, and you get this uh, heightened anxiety. The stress levels go way up when you're having an argument over text, and that might happen too in person, but you can sort of regulate each other in real time when you're having the conversation in person. You can read body language, which you can't do over text. You can, if you see someone starting to get worked up or offended, you can say, hang on, that's not what I meant, or let me let me clarify. You can you can mitigate the problem and deal with the situation much better, much more efficiently, and with much less tension and anger in general. Obviously, things can get super escalated in person and um, in real abuse cases, right, then, then in person is... Yeah, which was why I was also thinking yeah. maybe that's why they did it over text. It could be. I don't want to make assumptions if, if she... She never claimed that he was abusive physically, so I don't think that there was any physical danger there. She never made that claim. Yeah. She said it was psychological, and, and her evidence seemed to be the the expectations he wanted to put in place and around her behavior mm -hmm. and, and things like that, um, which you can have an opinion on on whether that was fair of him or not, but it was up to her to agree to them or not agree to them, and, and that's okay for her to say no or yes but i lost my train of thought there i think that's okay yeah I'll I, just to so be, yeah safe or not safe to have it in person but always good to not yeah have conversations over text there was one text exchange or a couple actually i think it was about him having an issue with her surfing mm -hmm. photographs on instagram yeah. and also talking i think it was like talking to other guys who were within the surfing community or yeah. just having like somewhat revealing yeah. photos because she's yeah mm -hmm. so i guess i'm wondering where's the line drawn between like when it gets abusive and when it's like maybe someone being jealous or a little bit controlling mm-hmm yeah, that's a tricky, it's very nuanced because some couples might mutually agree that they are not going to post bikini or speedo pictures on the internet and they're not going to spend time one-on-one -on -one with people of the opposite sex. Some couples might come to that agreement and it's not abusive and it's not misogynistic and that's just a boundary they've decided to put in their relationship with other people. But if it's not agreed upon, then that's a difference of values and that has to be dealt with. And it's okay to have a difference of values if you respect the other person's values. And that's where yeah. I believe in that text, he said, like, this is what I expect. I don't want you to do these things. But if you don't want to agree to that, then that's okay and we can part ways. I'm pretty sure the rest of the text, right, didn't it say... You're, yeah, it, he was definitely disappointed from what I can remember. He was, like, disappointed if that was her choice, but, like, that's something that he... I think it was, like, a non-negotiable from my memory. Yeah, he wanted her to agree to those things, and if not, then it wasn't going to work out. So where it would go to abuse would be if there's a threat. If she doesn't do those things, she's scared something's going to happen. If she doesn't agree to his terms he's going to retaliate in some way, either emotionally or physically. And I don't know if that happened or not. I didn't see any evidence of that. But abuse, with abuse, there's a threat. What is the threat? What's what's going to happen if you don't do what he says, you know? 
and that's can the I threat mean. not be a threat to leave the relationship is that that threat? to leave the relationship if you don't do what i want that could be seen as controlling but you don't want to be with someone like that anyway if they're saying it, but but then there's also the the nuance of it's okay for people to have certain expectations and those can be agreed to or not and if they don't want to agree to them then it's not going to work out and that's the end of the relationship that happens all the time so it's very case by case i don't i don't want to comment on whether theirs was abuse or not i would say that if if he was giving an ultimatum that's not abusive yeah to give an ultimatum it's not best practice I wouldn't recommend giving ultimatums yeah. in relationships, and I definitely wouldn't recommend communicating them over text or having those conversations over text. But if you want to say in your relationship, I can't be with someone who's posting pictures of themselves in bikinis on the internet, that makes me feel really insecure, and I can't handle you being with other guys all the time, then, and if you if you can't agree to that, then we're not going to work out, then it would be within her rights to say, I'm not going to agree to that. That seems ridiculous to me. I should be able to post whatever I want and see whoever I want to. And that's not up to you to decide that. Then, okay, they're going to break up. There might be another woman who might say, yeah, I wouldn't want you doing those things with other girls either. And I don't like, I don't like seeing men who are in relationships post shirtless pictures of themselves. So those terms sound fine to me. And then it would be no problem. So it's not abusive to have those terms, but if they disagree, then that's where they have they have to make a decision but it's not ultimatums are not inherently abusive so whether or not you what if i'm going to were misogynistic or not is up to interpretation totally i'm going to throw in one more nuance to this yeah. what if he had said that and whoever or not necessarily even Johnny Hill. Say a guy says to a girl, like, exactly what you said. I don't like it when you post naked not mm. naked, but, like, yeah. half-naked <laughs> pictures on Instagram. Mm. I don't like it when you talk to other guys. Um, and if that's the case, I think, you know, I'm going to leave the relationship. Then the girl agrees to those terms even though she doesn't want to, or even though she personally disagrees with that, she yeah. feels that if she doesn't, she's scared that she'll lose them. Mm-hmm. That's tricky. That's hard. So that's where she would have to decide, is agreeing to these terms going against my values and I don't feel good about it, but I'm just doing it to keep him? Or... Is this something that I don't really agree with, but I don't really care. So if it's really important to him, then I'm okay doing it. That's what she'd have to think about because we're all going to have differences with our partners and we have to decide if we're willing to make certain compromises because it's really important to our partner or if we're not because it would fundamentally go against our values and we would feel like we're betraying ourselves to fall in line with those terms. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's unfortunately really, really common for a lot of girls, I think, to, or women as well, just whether you're, whatever age you are, this can happen to anyone, Yeah. Um, to, I don't know how to say this any other way, but kind of just like, excuse what your needs are to kind of appease a man mm -hmm. yes 
Does that make sense? Yes, it is very common. Mm -hmm. Women often will compromise, make big compromises or little compromises. And some of them might be fine to make. Some of them might be hurting them to make and making them unhappy um, just to keep the guy. And they'll tell themselves that, oh, this is just a relationship. This is, you know, it's give and take, but really it's very, the power imbalance is very unfair. So that has to be on a case by case basis. But I I would say it comes down to, are is it in line with your values to accept those terms or are you doing it from a place of fear? Is it coming from a place of love or is it coming from a place of fear? Are you afraid you're going to lose him, which would just be not that's not good if it's just because you're afraid you're going to lose him that's that's not a good reason to make big decisions like that if it matters to you or are you afraid of of retaliation in some way that's where we get into more of the abuse category um or is it something that you're okay to compromise on because we all have to make compromises so it's it's very nuanced and it's complicated but if you're feeling disempowered in your relationship you're feeling like you don't have as much of a say as the other person does, then that's a red flag. And you should really pay attention to that and not write it off. If it's yeah, little things, everyone has their quirks, things that are important to them. And that's one thing. But if you're feeling like overall, you don't have as much of a voice as your partner does, or it's become a dynamic where you're each really controlling each other, and you both have all these lists of demands for the other one, that speaks to a difference of values. And it's probably not a good fit if you're both having to make all these compromises you don't agree with. What other red flags would you say are abuse red flags? Abuse red flags, so there's a whole long <laughs> list of... You're like, there's so many. There's, yeah, there's so many. There's there's definitely being controlling, and I can, I can see where those texts were were interpreted as as being controlling um but if someone's mm. if someone is not willing to have a conversation about something but they're just making demands that's a red flag because someone could have the same concern and position it as a concern that they'd like to talk about or they could position it as a demand and this is what you're going to do and we're not there's not open for discussion that's a red flag if there's no conversation about it um Another red flag would be retaliation. If if you, if there's a pattern of if I do this, I know this person's going to freak out and do this. That could be a red flag. Um, harassment, controlling your, I mean, then we get into real abuse, which is like controlling where you go, who you're talking to, um, keeping the keys so that you can't leave, you know, cutting off bank account access. Like there's real abuse there, but there are red flags of that. And I would say that really it comes down to the power in the relationship. Do you feel like you have an equal say in everything that goes on? Or do you feel like you're sort of a second class citizen and someone else is running the show and you have to go along with it or you're out? I th Okay. I want to touch on one thing you said about it sounded to me like financial abuse. Yeah. And this is something that I'm very, I feel very strongly about in that women 
in specifically marriages, it doesn't have, you don't necessarily have to be married, but more so marriages when I think about this, Mm -hmm. it really frightens me when women don't have their own financial assets or don't have like a savings or anything to fall back on and they're totally reliant on their husband's uh, finances. and this can be something they may not even realize that's happened because they've taken time off from their career to raise the family and it kind of just ended up that way. Or uh, maybe they got married really young and there was no assets to begin with and then it just kind of happened that way. Like there's so many reasons that things like this can occur, mm-hmm. but I'm, again, this is, we're talking so many nuances today because I'm like, I want to express that this is not every single marriage. <laughs> when does it become abusive when the husband's the sole breadwinner and the wife is completely financially dependent on him and he starts to control that with her? When is it, a, when is it financial abuse when he's the... Yeah. When's the, where's the line between like, hey, honey, I think maybe you're spending too much at Target. Did we really need <laughs> yeah. 300 pillows <laughs> um, versus like cutting them off or whatever that might look like? I'll let you talk to that. Yeah, I think it's the tone of what's being done. And again, the level of collaboration, because Ideally, if someone, for example, just has a spending problem and they really, they can't handle a credit card, it's just, it never goes well when they have a credit card, then in a healthy relationship, that would be a conversation where maybe the husband would say, or the wife, whoever it is, would say, you know what, it seems like every time you have a credit card, it goes really badly and we get into a hole. So what do you think about having you just use a debit card and not have the credit card? And hopefully the person with the spending problem would be able to say, yeah, I can see that. Let's let's try that and maybe we can give it a try again later on and I'll, I'll see if I can work on this. So that would be a healthy collaboration where the man has way more financial power than the woman. Where it was is abusive or unhealthy is if she would like to have a credit card, she is responsible with it, but he just won't let her because the man should have the credit card. And she doesn't have a way to pay for things unless it's through him. So if she is in an emergency, she's kind of out of luck. Or situations where basically she can't take care of herself and the relationship has been orchestrated in such a way where she has to have him in order to meet her physical needs. She can't get groceries without his permission or his being there to pay for it. Those types of things are are red flags where she really kind of feels trapped because he's financially created a situation where she can't operate in her life without his permission and he's got full control of everything. Most marriages that I know of that are more traditional in terms of gender roles where maybe the woman doesn't work at all, the man's making all the money, yeah. the woman, it's a joint credit card. It's a joint bank account. She can mm-hmm. buy what she wants and maybe they go through expenses together and they'll talk through purchases but there's no uh dictatorship in terms of how the money is spent and who has the account and who has the card okay yeah it's 
It's so interesting to me as well, because I think as we've progressed as women, like going all the way back to when women weren't really expected to have careers mm -hmm. or weren't even allowed to really, and everything from our physical needs had to be met from the husband or the man in our life to now. Mm -hmm. um, I always, I don't know, I, my heart always just goes out to that, that specific generation of not having an option or not and just feeling trapped. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that I feel like my, my girlfriends and I talk about as well, where we're like the dynamic of a relationship is so, so, so different when you are able to support yourself or if something were to happen, you would be okay. Like, yeah. That kind of, I don't know how to like verbalize it. Am I, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's true. There is an inherent power difference when one person yeah. is making all the money. And I think that there are ways that are really just mindset shifts to mitigate that. So I know, I know some women who are in that situation and they do feel like whatever money comes into the house is their money equally. And they don't have a problem mentally putting it in the box of ours but i know other women yeah. who do feel like well he's the one who made it so even though it's ours and i know that it's ours in my brain i still feel like it's more his because he's the one that earned it and i think yeah. that that's that's just a mindset thing that some women are are able to really easily step into and maybe the the, the man's opinion and mentality around it definitely influences it too are they able to say this is ours or does it still kind of feel like it's his because he earned it? I think that just varies couple by couple, but that's a really good point. Um, and I don't know if you know this fun fact, but women were not able to get credit cards without a man signing on it until 1974. So that was not that long ago. <laughs> Speaking Jeez. to your points. Yeah, you had to have a man. No, it's not. Sign up on it too. So yeah, it's it's very tricky and nuanced and delicate. And I think it's these are important conversations to have for women who are in that situation to think about how they can approach it in their marriages so that they can feel like an equal partner. And if they need to make a mindset shift or if there are some practical changes that they need to make and how the money's being managed for them to feel like an equal partner. Um, and those could be some tough conversations to have because maybe the husband just by default has been running everything financially and the woman would like some more of a say, but they just haven't talked about it because he's the one making the money. So it goes into his account and, you know, whatever the arrangement is, I think it's important to be very intentional about that and to have these conversations about whose money is this and how are we allocating our funds and who's spending what, who's in charge of paying what expenses and to collaborate on that and agree upon it together. And then I think there's much lower chance of someone feeling disempowered in the relationship because while the man may be still making all the money and it's going into his account, then they've made these decisions together. Maybe she's jointly on the account. Maybe they have a system where he transfers a certain amount into hers if she wants her own bank account. That's a way that I think a woman could feel a little more empowered is if she has a separate account that's for her spending or 
how, you know, however they want to do it. There's no right or wrong way. I know some people out there think that once you're married, all of your accounts should be joint. You're together and everything. And that works for some people. But for some women, they might feel a little better if they had their own bank account. And even though he's still making the money, maybe a certain amount goes into her account each month. And there's there's endless endless ways to solve the problem. But I think the key is always open communication and collaboration and mutually agreed upon terms. <laughs> yeah. Not very romantic. And then what but... if... I know. None of it... Oh, and I, I will always attest to that. I'm like, it's... It's these are conversations you have to have. Mm -hmm. And this is also something that I like to clarify when women are like, oh, well, I've, I've been in a relationship. They're not married. I've been in a relationship with this man or woman, mm -hmm. what, whoever, for however many years. Let's say it's like five or six, like at least long term, right? But they haven't got to the point where when you're married, you now have like shared assets and everything changes in that regard. I like the dog next door is barking mm -hmm. again. I've lost my train of thought. I'm what I'm trying to say is that that step changes everything. Yeah. That is so important to have that conversation prior to getting married what your expectations are even if you are dirt poor even yeah. if you at the time of marriage have like don't have two dollars to rub together yes that's not going to always be the case hopefully mm -hmm. um and at one point you're going to have more than two dollars to rub together and what's going to happen then yeah um so i just encourage people if you are thinking of marriage or if you are engaged or whatever it is like have these conversations i they're i know they're really 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 fucking awkward to have <laughs> and they're not sexy at all yeah. but it's so important it is there are i have a whole long list of things that that should be discussed before marriage but finances and how all of that's going to work from a practical standpoint are definitely towards the top of the list finances are one of the main things that couples fight about and can cause major, major problems in marriages. So it's super important to be on the same page to know before you get married how much debt each of you has, what your spending yes. habits are, what's important to you to spend money on, where do you want to spend money, where do you not care about spending money. Make sure your values are aligned there or if they're not, that they're set up in a way where you can respect each other's values and work within that. Um, Finances are huge. So it, it is important to have all of these conversations. How are we going to budget? How are we going to pay for things? Do we want to have a joint account? Do we want to keep separate? Um, it's important to cover all of the unsexy topics. What are your philosophies on parenting? How many kids do you want to have? What are, you know, religion and lifestyle and travel and where do you want to live? And what kind of a career do you want to have? How much money do you want us to be able to make? All of these are very important conversations to have. And they ultimately make up your life. So it's important to be aligned on them before you join up with someone because it can cause yeah. huge issues down the road if you find out later that you have a fundamental core value difference that you just never talked about because you were in the love bubble and didn't think it mattered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm curious to the dynamic. I don't know if you've come across this like with your own clients or whether this is something that 
is talked about at school, but when the woman, when the dynamics are not traditional, so when the woman is the main breadwinner or, you know, basically she has more of the traditional male role yeah. versus her husband, how does that play out in relationships? That's interesting because they kind of have to talk about it when it goes against the norm like that. It's, you know, can often be default for the woman to stay home and raise the kids and for the husband to be the one that works. But yeah. when they when people go expressly the opposite to traditional gender roles, I feel like there often is more of a conversation had because it's it's unusual to see a stay-at-home dad and a working mother. So I think that with that, it all comes back to the same thing. Is it mutually agreed upon? How is the man being made to feel empowered in the relationship, even though he's financially at the mercy of the wife? And is he okay with that? And can he can he be okay with that? Is this going to build resentment within him? Or is he on board with this? And often... It's a mutual decision. I've I've seen with couples like that because it goes against what the default is. Both people really want it to be that way, and not always. That's not always the case, but that needs to be the case in any situation. It needs to be intentional. Who's staying home? Who's working? Are both people working? Is no one staying home? What whatever arrangement it is just needs to be very intentional, so that no one feels like they've been put in a situation that they don't like and are resentful of, because that's going to turn out badly no matter what the gender is of the person who's feeling disempowered or feeling like they aren't able to live the life they want to live. Even just hearing you say that out loud, like, I don't know, my body was like, uncomfortable. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> because it's... I don't know if this is something I need to work on or if this might be something more common in general just because it does go against the norm where I mean I'm fully supportive of it I'm like do like mm -hmm. power to you if you want to do whatever you want to do mm -hmm. but to me like already I have the like I was noticing some of the the thoughts that come up where it's like you're or maybe me specifically jumping to conclusions of like, why, why isn't he supporting her? Like, is he less of a man? Mm -hmm. Like all of these things that we just like yeah. expect of men to be, or yeah. all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, he's going to get really resentful of her. Like mm -hmm. this, all this internalized stuff yeah as you were saying it i was like oh like i'm having a really visceral reaction <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome you noticed that yeah i think that's normal that's normal to have that reaction because culturally that is foreign culturally that is very different from how we typically see men and their value and women and their value and women's value has kind of been evolving a lot well, it has been evolving a lot over the last 50 years. And now women are sort of able to do it all and be valued to do as be valued as people who do it all. And men have been 
the ones in the workforce. And if they're a good dad, it's it was like a bonus for a while. Now men are expected yeah. to now be a good dad and be a provider in the workforce. But to totally switch it and say, well, what if they're not in the workforce at all, but they're just a really good dad and partner, that feels very foreign. We don't see a lot of that happening. So I understand the reaction because I, I have the similar internal like immediate like wait well why isn't he working though <laughs> and that's yeah, interesting it's it's, it's wild mm -hmm. that programming that's so deeply in us and then also at the same time I mean I don't have kids but I still feel this sense of like why should I have to give up yeah so much at that time as well like I do truly deeply want children mm -hmm. but I'm like it does seem really unfair mm -hmm. if you have to give up your career that you've worked so hard for yeah. for so many years to get to a place. And then because of your biology, you're just expected mm -hmm. to, to, to just give it all up. And then secondly, I'm like, at the same time, I feel like the, that pressure of like, well, women can do it all. You can still have a career and be a mom at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, but that's, that's a lot now where now I know it's possible, but I'm like, what if I can't do all of that? What if like, you know, it's, it's too exhausting or I can't keep up or, you know, there's so much pressure Yeah. now that we can have choice to do it all. Yeah. That's where I'm very hopeful that our generation and younger generations can truly co-parent equally if they want to, you know, if, if the woman does want to be in the workforce and the man does too, I'm very hopeful that these next few generations, including ours, can be the trailblazers in terms of fathers being equal parents also. And companies are starting to learn that that's what they have to do with women making up half of the workforce most of those women's husbands are also in the workforce. So companies are having to be more flexible and we're seeing a huge rise in things like paternity leave. And paternity leave didn't used to be a thing, but companies are acknowledging that men are parents too and they need to contribute to caring for their children as well. And I think we're going to see continually more flexibility and an acknowledgement that both parents might be working and both parents might need the support to care for their children. It's not just one person's job. And I'm hopeful that that will continue to improve. Yeah. And if you do want to be a stay at home mom, like go for it. Like I'm not yeah. ever saying that's the worst choice by any means. I'm just saying that yeah. there are different challenges for each. Yeah. 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 Just to have the option and to have the choices mm -hmm. is the, is the main thing. Um, since we're already talking about this type of uh, topic, mm -hmm. I want to get into the Barbie movie. Yes. <laughs> what? What? Is because it? I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I can't wait to see it again. Like I really mm -hmm. want to see it. Me too. Maybe when it's not. Maybe when it comes out past when it's in the cinema, like just be able to watch it at home and like really digest it by myself. Um. I think a lot of it was things that I'd already felt and talked about, but to be validated mm -hmm. in more of like a pop culture way. Yeah. 
was really refreshing. Um, and I think too, like <laughs> I saw the Bobby movie one weekend and then the weekend after that, I saw Oppenheimer. I don't know if you've seen Oppenheimer. Yes. Yes. And I don't know why we're comparing them at all because they are completely different, <laughs> but it was so wild to go from a full cast of women to like Oppenheimer, which had like three women in it. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. And just all men of very high status and power. Mm -hmm. So it was really, I think, I wasn't even planning on talking about Oppenheimer on the podcast, but I think that huge like juxtaposition of the two films made me even more so like go into so much processing of Bobby. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Well, it makes sense. I mean, Oppenheimer's set in 1942, so not a lot of women in high exactly. in the government at that time. Exactly. And thank God too, because I'm like, I don't necessarily want us to be contributing to like nuclear <laughs> war, but you know, I think yeah. <laughs> that's one movie I'm happy for us to sort of take a step back in. Right. Um, but I think it was just maybe a reminder of like how far we have come. Yeah. It's but also how not that far ago it was. Yes. Yes. We've come such a long way. It's truly amazing what has happened in 100 years, right? Women have had the right to vote for 100 years and... We've done so much since then. We've really made so much progress and it's awesome, but it is wild to think that not that long ago and for the rest of history from past that point back, we were second class citizens essentially. So yeah, I, yeah, I loved the Barbie movie for really making you think about gender differences and how we interact with each other and how far we've come and how far there's still to go. Um, I also loved that feminism has come to a much more beautiful, accepting place, I think, now than it was at maybe 10 years ago. Because I felt like originally with this like new wave of feminism, it was not okay to be a girl. You know, it wasn't okay to be girly pink and high heels and lipstick made you like compliant with the patriarchy and that's not true like I loved that Barbie was kind of like it's okay to be whatever kind of girl you want to be and lipstick wearing high heel wearing dress wearing girls are just as much women as the women who want to wear power suits and no makeup it doesn't matter we're not shaming women for being feminine anymore and I loved that for the Barbie movie because I feel like that's a real step of progress for feminism um yeah yeah there was a time where I sort of felt like why are the why do I have to be manly to be respected as a woman it, there was kind of a message of well to be a real woman you have to be this certain way and you can't talk with a high-pitched voice and you can't be girly or that's just that's just frivolous and you have to stop those things so I, I liked that it honored femininity and girlhood and dolls are okay we're not make like if women want to play with Legos as kids, then great. If they want to play with Barbies, that's also great. And I like that we're not villainizing girliness anymore. So that's one point that I thought was made in the movie that was great. And I also liked liked the the commentary on 
the different genders and the I think the most poignant line for me in the movie was when the narrator says towards the end um eventually the Kens in Barbie land came to have just as much power and influence as women do in the real world and I was like oh that was a good one that was a good one because I am someone who I think is pretty optimistic with this type of topic and I'm always like we did it like we're equal you know it's it's fine we're we've we fixed it but obviously that's not entirely true we've fixed a lot of it we've fixed a lot a lot of it but there's still progress to be made and that line was a really poignant reminder of like well there's still there's still a ways to go but yeah look how far we've come also yeah yeah I think that's so true about you couldn't you weren't allowed to be girly like I know some of the I guess more recent waves of feminism where it's like very much like the extreme of short hair and like like basically taking out anything that you could possibly do cosmetically or additionally that would like make you more feminine yeah and i think i've well i know i've actually done this previously in certain situations like whether it's like dating or i don't know job interviews or things like that where i have like tried to like make myself more masculine in a in a way like to be taken seriously to be taken seriously or isn't that in yes that that's what yes it was that in order to be taken seriously or respected we needed to be more like men and that was this uh-huh this kind of feminist thing that wasn't true that wasn't true some if women were feeling pressured to be girly and pink like no they can you know you don't have to do that either but to shame women for wanting to be feminine and saying that you can't be feminine and powerful you can't be feminine and respected and you can't be feminine and have an equal voice in the room you have to look like men talk like men in order to achieve that is really doing a disservice to women so i'm glad that we're moving away from that <laughs> or even to like if you I personally have noticed this. I'm I'm this talking from my own perspective here mm -hmm. where I've gone out into the world whether I'm going to like the grocery store or if I'm going to an event or anywhere mm -hmm. and I have two different experiences. One where I've really dressed up I guess what you would typically say is something that the male gaze would um appreciate whether that's like high heels or like a beautiful dress or like lots of makeup and your hair done and then you go to the same place and i'm dressed like i don't know maybe i have my sweats on or just i'm in gym gear and i have no makeup on i'm sweaty and the difference in how i am treated is like miles different like I always make this joke because I'm I'm really low low maintenance because I'm lazy. Like mm -hmm. I bear like I truly get dressed up for the podcast, but like <laughs> most of the time, I like don't wear makeup. My hair's in a bun. I really don't care. Mm -hmm. But the times where I've gone out and I've made an effort, I always joke to my girlfriends or even my husband. I'm like, damn, if I did this all the time, like I swear to God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, things for whatever yeah. reason just 
flow more easily. That's so funny. I totally feel validated right now because I've had the exact same experience. I am treated like a different person with my hair and makeup done versus <laughs> when I'm in sweats with my hair in a bun and no makeup. Yeah, it's it's amazing the the signals, I guess, that that send and, yeah, people's perception. I don't know if it's... But it's not even just men that treat me differently. I feel like everyone treats me differently when I'm when I'm dressed up and put together as opposed to when I sort of just rolled out of bed. But yeah. I don't really know yeah. that we're we're visually stimulated people and we take all these cues from how people are put together or not, and then we sort of make these snap judgments we're not even aware of and then treat them differently based on that and it's not yeah it's not great but i think too the idea that someone can be really or specifically a woman can be really attractive and beautiful but at the same time she can be so many other things like she can be funny she can be smart she can yeah i don't know be really sporty but at the same time she's a like allowed and is attractive and beautiful like there's for some reason this like weird dissonance there that it's mm. like oh she can't be both yeah that's true that's true and i i think the barbie movie does a nice job of butting against that and we're starting to see more stories like that where the woman isn't having to choose between being smart and attractive and you're right where mm -hmm. i feel like growing up there were all these you know law shows or things where if the woman was super smart and a powerhouse and career driven, then she was dressed in like gray loose suits and she didn't wear makeup and she was kind of, yeah. you know, had this, like, she obviously didn't care about her looks because she was so smart and successful, but yeah, we didn't see that with the men. We had James Bond, we had Superman and Batman, all these very handsome men who were also smart and successful. And I, that's a really good point. I think we're hopefully going to start seeing more and we have started to see that already female characters who can be attractive and powerful and successful. And it doesn't mean that because they went to school and got educated, they decided that they don't care what they look like anymore. <laughs> yeah. Or that they aren't feminine. Femininity is weakness or symbolizes a lack of intelligence. Legally Blonde actually was the first movie that I can think of who really was like, actually this blonde pink suited girl is super smart and successful too but that was kind of the yeah. premise of the whole movie is look how unusual or unexpected this is that she could be both yeah she's like what like it's hard yeah <laughs> <laughs> to get into law school yeah um yeah and i think too like to just caveat that as well it's like if you're like the double standards of that when you were saying Superman can be attractive and amazing and intelligent all at the same time. That double standard, I think, trickles over to everything, though. Like, you can't... If you're being assertive, for example, as a woman, you are oftentimes seen as a bitch. Or if you're commanding, you're now you're bossy. Like, mm -hmm. the double standards of, like, what a man can do versus what a woman can do. And I know... The director Greta, as she was talking about when she was a kid, she said that she was always told that she was a very bossy little girl. Ooh. And I'm like, 
okay, but now she's directing movies like yeah. fucking Bobby. Like, why are we smashing that in women, mm. not like encouraging it, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I read recently that women are more likely to uh, say the word just in their emails, like in corporate emails when they're in the workplace. They'll kind of soften their language more instead of saying, yeah hi, I wanted to check in on this. Can you give me an update? They'll say, hi, just checking in. Or I just wanted to quickly ask, like almost like an apology uh -huh. or like, I'm not being demanding. I just wanted to ask this, you know? So I think women, we need to work on claiming our power in the room and not apologizing for it and catching ourselves when we do those things. And after I read that article, I feel the instinct all the time to write just at the, in my, I do it. I was, I was like, you're yeah. calling me out. I do it. I do it every time. I do it too. And I've stopped since I read that article, but I do, I did that all the time. I was always like trying to soften my presence and say, you know, not be too abrupt or come off as aggressive. And I don't think my male colleagues were writing just in all of their emails or sorry to bother you or hope, hope this isn't, you know, too much of a hassle, but blah, blah, like we can, we can do better in, in not playing into that narrative and by butting up against it. I talked to my sister about that and she has actually never put just, she doesn't struggle with that, but she's someone who has never struggled with speaking up. She's quite outspoken and she's doesn't that like that particular pressure has not impacted her which I think is interesting some women aren't impacted by it but I definitely was <laughs> I think it depends on the person for me yeah the people who I'm closer with I don't use just like I would or or sort of soften my language mm -hmm. because I'm like they know my intentions they know me as a person yeah for people who I'm not super close with or more in a professional setting I don't want to come off as like demanding or yes. like entitled or anything like that. So I'm definitely like very aware of like what I'm saying. Yes. And that kind of bothers me because again, if you had, two, if you had two emails that were written exactly the same, mm -hmm. like, but like one's from a man and one's from a woman, and like you showed it to somebody, they would have completely different judgments on who that man was and who that woman was. Like all of a sudden that that woman with using the masculine language would be, you know, you'd have assumptions that they would be like very, again, bossy or demanding or does that make sense? Like the exact same language? Yeah, yeah. I wonder... I wonder if that's changing as we're becoming aware of these double standards. And I've noticed even with myself in work meetings, if a woman presents something quite boldly, if I have an initial instinct of, wow, she really just went in there to yes. check myself and go, well, that's exactly what Mark or David or John just did a second ago. And and I didn't think that about them. Or if I did, I maybe admired it because I was like, great, they're just stepping up to the plate. But if a woman did it at first, I'm a little taken aback because I'm not expecting that kind of approach from a woman. So I think I think the awareness yes. of it is going to help us correct it and stop those judgments moving forward. But 
um, it is interesting, those, those little details that change your perception and the snap judgments you make. Yeah, you have that internalized like misogyny, you're not even realizing that you're doing, but I do the exact same thing. Like, even from a woman to a woman, if mm -hmm. <laughs> like exactly what you just said, I'm like, yeah. I find myself catching that all the time where you're like, oh, okay, that yeah. she's, but then if a guy said it, it'd be like, totally fine. I think too, sometimes I think my therapist said this to me once where she's like, well, if you're going to be perceived, like if they're going to perceive you, say you're also, I'll give you context, say you're asserting a boundary or something like that, or just being assertive in general, you're not trying to be rude. You're just trying to get your point across and like a man on the other side, whoever it might be is like, receiving it as you are being a bitch right mm -hmm. i remember my therapist said to me like one time she's like if they're always going to perceive you as being a bitch just be a bitch like <laughs> just lean into it like not with like ill intentions but like if you're actually not understanding being... yeah understanding like that you can't control that they're going to perceive you that way anyway like it's just because you're a woman then that's going to happen mm -hmm. yeah and to to bring in some more nuance, because we love to do that. I feel like women, <laughs> we can sometimes do it to each other, make those judgments to each other worse than even uh -huh. men will. And I've yeah. seen that myself where um, I've been treated a certain way by a woman in the workplace, much worse than by any man in that workplace. And from my perception, it seemed like it was because I was more outspoken and assertive as my male colleagues were but this particular woman seemed really put off by that coming from me but she wasn't as put off by it when the men did it so we'll keep each other down as women too because that's it goes against the norm and it goes against what we've kind of been trained to do so i've noticed that as yeah. well sometimes that that internalized misogyny will come out where a woman might be really offended and be like, you're, you know, you're being a bitch or whatever, but you know, yeah, it's so, it's so true. And it's mm -hmm. so wild to me that that's so not normal. We should like, it's normal, but it's so crazy that we're doing that because who are we supposed to lean on if we can't lean on men and we can't lean on women to like, on, to talk about these things or to, to, to change the behaviors. And then we're always in competition with each other. And then the standards of like, everything is so high for us, whether that's like beauty standards or career or whatever it might be like this. I, I think it even was addressed in the Barbie movie, like this unattainable standard. And then once you reach that standard, it's like the bars raised even higher and it's like a never ending mm -hmm. cycle. And I don't know why our initial instincts are to, I don't know if it's maybe the other woman is reflecting something in us that we want to, to be, or if it's just, again, internalized misogyny that we've just had since we were long, like young girls. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to think it's more the former. I think, I think when we see a woman who's 
expressing confidence and we're feeling insecure, that can feel threatening or that can look, it can be upsetting and we're not even aware of it, but it can, similar to whenever you are feeling insecure about yourself and someone else looks like they're feeling super confident, you, you might think, well, why do they get to feel so confident? Why are they acting like they belong here? I don't feel like I belong here. Why are they acting that way? And it can trigger a negative reaction when instead the reaction should be, oh, interesting. She seems fully comfortable and, and fine speaking up. Why don't I feel that way? Maybe I need to work on my confidence so that I can do that too, instead of being threatened by it. And I think that's some work we have to do as women to learn from each other and root for each other instead of when we see someone like the crabs in the bucket, someone climbing out, not pulling her back down and saying, no, you need to stay insecure like the rest of us. You know, we're in competition with each other. Instead, we can yeah. help each other up. And when we see women succeeding and doing well to support it and try to learn from it and see whatever insecurities are being threatened or triggered within us, we can address those and heal it instead of uh, just falling into it and keeping these negative patterns going. Yeah. So I'm aware of time, but I want to end on a positive note because <laughs> <laughs> we've gone into so much on this episode. Um, we touched on previously how women have come so far in 100 years and you know only 100 years ago approximately were we given like the right i think you said to get a credit card yeah. without a man was that right 1974 mm -hmm. do you know before i say what i was going to say what are some other like key dates like in america because i only i don't know american history super well yeah so another one that i never forget and i need to find yeah uh also in the 70s i think i'm trying to remember if it's the 70s or the 90s so yeah 93 okay in 1993 marital rape was named a crime nationwide but it was not a crime to rape your spouse I think the the first court case was in the 70s. So again, the 70s was like the first time that someone legitimately was able to make the case that raping your spouse is against the law because the the narrative was if you're married it can't be rape. That's <laughs> fucking wild. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> nuts. It is. Wait, I saw something online speaking of this I think it was either this or something similar where it was like the reason it got brought up though, or maybe this was something different where it had something to do with, it was the man's property. So it was yeah. more in his interest. Was that this one? I don't remember, but that sounds familiar. And I think the credit card thing, like all of these types of, of, changes are sort of in that same vein of women switching from property to equal citizens and yeah what year was it that we could vote in the u.s 1920 since you're googling yeah i'll google it real fast i just want to put context to this because like i feel like people oftentimes are like oh but that was so long ago and i'm like it really wasn't yeah 1920 most yeah, women... so 100 years ago, pretty much. Yes. 
And if you think about that in the context of history, that's like a blip. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how much progress has been done in such a tiny amount of time. And before that, it was kind of status quo. There were some gradual helpful changes made along the way, but we've done so much more in the last 100 years than was done for a very, very long time. Or the... There was one other one, which was also, I don't know the date for, but when women's health care and medication was allowed to be studied. Oh, yeah. was not that long ago. Everything medically was always tested on men and, and still is for predominantly most medications. Yeah. Uh, again, 93. So that was a big year. Isn't that crazy? Women's rights. 93. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so I said I wanted to end it on a positive note, but um, what to, to be more optimistic about the future, what are some things we can do as women to kind of help move things forward in the right direction? That's a great question. That's a big question. <laughs> I think first and foremost, we need to heal ourselves, our insecurities, our competition with other women. We need to be fully aware of those triggers that we get that tempt us to want to tear each other down or keep each other yeah. down and prevent each other from climbing because it makes us feel small. We need to really check ourselves and heal that. And we also need to take ownership of our lives, take ownership for your decisions, for your wants and desires, and honor those. And if your desire is to stay at home with your children, if your desire is to not have children, if your desire is to be in the workforce and be career-minded, whatever your choice is, to come to a place where you're comfortable in that and you're not insecure about it and you're not resentful of it. So I think that... What I've seen in the generation above us, so kind of in between the 1950s marriages and the 2020 marriages, is that Gen X who are kind of stuck between and they've been in this like, yeah. what do I do? Some women are doing this. Some women are doing this. I was always taught that I should be this 1950s housewife, but half of my friends aren't doing that. And I don't know if I want to do that. So I think that women accepting ownership and and really embracing that it's okay for them to have desires and it's okay for them to go after whatever that is and be unapologetic and confident in that choice but also to honor and respect other women's choices and not think that yeah. their choice is superior to those other choices is is going to be a huge step for us because I think what we have seen a bit are women making their own choices but then they're getting judgment from the other group and we need to be yeah. advocates for each other first and foremost. And I think that that will, that will grow. And, and I think as women, that's, that's the number one thing that I would say, heal ourselves and, and be confident and learn how to be confident. And if you don't want to as well, if you don't want to subscribe to any of it, if you don't want kids, if you don't want a husband or a wife, what, whatever you're choosing, like, that's okay too. Like it I is. always say like my auntie she's i think she's such a rock star because she she never did any of the like traditional stuff she never had kids she never got married she's like one of the happiest women yeah. ever like she's just like loves her life she's just Aww. doing whatever she wants that's great and i'm like that that is also like so amazing and if you want to do that 
like go for it and yeah. don't let the judgment of being like a spinster or whatever yeah. it's like yeah it's not that at all absolutely i think there's a real tendency there's a temptation for women to claim moral superiority and we see that with mom shaming you know moms will get in these arguments yeah. of you're you're being a mom in the wrong way and whatever and i think that that that's a real area of growth that we we can tackle and and heal as women yeah well elizabeth thank you so much for coming on for thank a second you. time i love chatting with you these are so fun i love chatting with you too <laughs> um obviously we went longer than an hour so thank you for for going over but it obviously flew by as per usual yes <laughs> um where can where can people find you on social if they want more more of you yes if you want more of me i am at elizabeth wing underscore mft on instagram and tiktok